That was a lot of information the first time we even read it, right? Who chose this? Who chose this? I know. What fool chose this? I know. It was me. And without further ado. Oh, are we recording? Yeah. <laughs> this is Truth or Hype, PT's Reading Beyond the Abstract. Hi, this is your host, Eric Liuzzo and Max Jordan. And welcome to the first episode of Truth or Hype, PT's Reading Beyond the Abstract. Today's article is Gains in Daily Stepping Activity in People with Chronic Stroke After High-Intensity Gait Training in Variable Context. Came out recently in PTJ, authored by George Hornby and crew out of Indiana. So we're going to get into the abstract, but really we just want to hone in on the conclusion of this abstract. And so their conclusion is that high-intensity gait training for individuals with stroke elicits gains in daily stepping, and those gains are primarily associated with gains in gait endurance. Right, and the key there being in a variable context. In a variable context. We'll come back to this in a minute, but the high-intensity and the variable context. Exactly. And so when I read that the first time, multiple weeks ago is, you know, is this feasible? This is one of those things that it looked like this was a feasibility study. And as I was reading through it, it, it kind of changed a little bit, but really I, to me, the whole point, it seemed like they were trying to assess whether or not if you do gate training in a variable situation, will it produce results? And so their reasoning, they said, is they think that the impact is using variable may improve efficiency and value of PT services. And that makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. If you can get a patient to buy in, right? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Sounds good to me. Perfect. So pulling close, let's talk about a little bit of a background to this, okay? So the whole reason that they probably went down this road anyways is for a long time, PTs, we've severely underdosed individuals with chronic stroke. And what I mean by that is, yeah, we get them up and get them walking, but are we getting the amount of steps in to really drive that neuroplasticity over time, right? And if we don't, they might go home, they might not do as much, they get weaker, they have another stroke, or they fall or something bad happens. And that's just bad overall. Would you agree? Falls are bad. Falls are just bad. Just as a general rule of physical therapy, falls are bad. Falls are bad. And if you're just starting out with physical therapy, yeah, that's the take-home message, <laughs> right? Falls are bad. And so those methods over time have really put an emphasis on trying to drive the amount of steps people do every single day. Not only in therapy, but at home after they get done with therapy as well. So a lot of that's been focused on mast practice, block practice, using a treadmill, overground training, and really increasing the intensity of what they're going through. So heart rate, focus on heart rate, and the RPE scale as well. And another thing that this study is doing as a background is we have a lot of studies that are looking at this high-intensity training, and they do some great outcome measures like a six-minute walk test. They might do timed up and go, but they wanted to look at more a realistic, functional, pragmatic outcome like changes in steps in daily activity. Right. So it wasn't just a clinical measure, but a functional in the world. How is this actually going to affect the patient? Exactly. And there there was always this goal out there of really trying to get 900 to 12,000 steps, that change in steps to increase to per day is what they were saying in the the uh, introduction of this. And so their hypothesis, oh, background a little bit too, this is a secondary analysis. So mm-hmm. there's, they, they use some information from a bigger study to really drive home their point of high-intensity variable training. And so they hypothesize that 
high intensity variable training was going to increase the amount of change that they saw essentially with these individuals with stroke. Yeah, that with the high intensity, there's going to be a greater step count in daily life. Exactly. Clean, easy. And so that leads us to the methods. Really inclusion. All you need to know is these people had a unilateral stroke and they were six months past that. You know why that's the case? No, tell me why. Why is that the case? I'm glad you asked. So <laughs> the, the reason really is because if it's before six months, there's a lot of change that could naturally occur or they could have other issues that, that could be a part of their healing process. And we couldn't really parse out what's really going on here. And that was, that's what really makes acute stroke really challenging to study. And so you're going to see a lot of studies out there that are really six months post-stroke. And the exclusion criteria, while they list quite a bit of them, the real thing to know is, is it things that impede their ability to walk or are going to get better over time of the study? So like orthopedic conditions, concurrent neurological conditions, and so forth. They had a lot of those because they were really trying to focus in on this one variable of these individuals having a stroke and are we impacting that point? So, and they could have a couple of things like if, if they needed baclofen, they could have baclofen or Botox injections. They could have that as well. So let's go ahead and get into the grouping, what they did with the grouping. Okay. So they took these individuals that have a stroke and they, they put them in three distinct groups, high intensity variable training, where they did a lot of different activities with these individuals, but their target was around 70 to 80% of their heart rate reserve. Mm -hmm. Yes. I said that right. Heart rate said that reserve. Right. Yeah. 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 We're doing it. We're doing good. We're going, this is great for the first time. Can we say this? So uh, high intensity, they also had another high intensity group, high intensity forward focus. So those individuals walked on a treadmill, they walked over ground and they were trying to do 20 minutes of each along with that 70 to 80% of heart rate reserve. And then they had a final group, a low intensity variable group where they did a lot of variable activities too, like walking backwards, walking forwards, stairs, all of those things, but they kept the heart rate low around 30% to 40% of that heart rate reserve. And so after that, they also stratified the groups into distinct severity means. And what that means is they looked at people that they thought were lower functioning or, or walking slower because we know that walking speed is the sixth vital sign, right? Thank you, Dr. Stacy Fritz and Addie Middleton. And Dr. Stacy Fritz. And so what we see there is less than 0.5 meters per second, which did you know is about 1.12 miles per hour? I did not know that. Exactly. And so that was the lower functioning group. And then the higher functioning group or the, the, or the least severe group was between 0.5 and 1 meter per second. You know how fast one meter per second is? Is it 2.4 miles per hour? It's 2.24. That was pretty close. That was pretty close. You're almost good at math. So let's talk about the outcomes then. So we know about the groups. The primary outcomes were, were measured at baseline. So before they started training, post-training, and then three months after training. And now, Max, I know what you're thinking. What was the training like? What was the training like? Well, we already talked about the groups, but what they did was over the course of two months, they could have up to 30 one-hour training sessions, up to 30 one-hour training sessions. So keep that in mind, of which the goal was about 40 minutes of stepping, all right? And so the tasks were adjusted in the, in the variable groups, whereas in the forward focus, they only did forward walking. That's it. There you go. Easy enough. Easy enough. And so outcome measures, when we talk about 
their primary outcome, they really wanted to look at daily step count. That was what they really wanted to focus on. They also looked at the change in daily step count, but really step count is what they were, were going for. And then they had a slew of secondary outcome measures mm-hmm. here. And those secondary outcome measures were self-selected walking speed, fast walking speed, six-minute walk test, which you're going to find ubiquitously in all neuro research. <laughs> I know you love it, Max. They also had this, this physiological cost index, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And what that is is just saying that the lower it is, the more efficient someone is, and the higher it is, the least efficient they are. The lower, they're not going to be as efficient because it's rated on their heart rate and distance. They also looked at the decline minute by minute for the six-minute walk test, and then also functional gait assessment, activity-specific balance confidence scale, the lower extremity Fugelmeyer, and then their kind of tertiary outcome measures were the demographics. So they, they looked at assistive device comorbidity, but I really enjoyed that they looked at area deprivation scale and the walking scale, and really that's just how people perceive their environments. And I think that's important because if someone's at home and they don't think they can walk somewhere, they're probably not. Right. And if you can't safely walk down the street, if there's not a sidewalk for you and your PT gives you a walking intervention, it makes it a lot harder. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that leads us into stats. What did they do stat wise? They took all the numbers. Yeah. They put it in a big spreadsheet. Keep going. And then we got answers. Oh, perfect. Beautiful. Beautiful. That's right. All right. So for the stats, long story short, basically they wanted to see if there was any change in these outcomes over time, and if that change differed between the group. Yeah. So they did something called a three-way repeated measures ANOVA because they had multiple time points in which they were evaluating, and they had three groups. So three-way repeated measures ANOVA. Perfect. And then they also wanted to look at those outcomes and say, okay, what was driving the outcomes? And so they wanted to tell, is there some sort of prediction that they could make based on those outcome measures. And so they ran a linear regression analysis in order to determine where those benefits are coming from. Right. And then last but not least, and this one is important, they did have kind of an a priori effect size that they called a meaningful difference. You can look at it that way. And they defined a meaningful difference as a change of at least 500 steps per day. So we know that steps per day was their outcome measure, but what is a meaningful change in that outcome measure? And they decided that 500 steps per day was a meaningful change. Right. And just for our listeners, not for me, not asking for myself, just for the listeners, what does a priori mean? A priori means before the priori. Ah, yes. Yes, perfect. (laughs) So So a priori, Meaning simply that they decided before the study. Absolutely. And on to the results. So what happened? That's an excellent question. All right. Well, let's let's work backwards a little bit. Okay. Okay. Let's work backwards. backwards. All right. So we have this really complicated three-way ANOVA. We have this group by time by severity. And if we look at it, nothing significant. Nothing. Nothing. So what does that tell us? Nothing. No, that tells us something. Oh, sorry. That tells us something. I was with it. I was with it. Okay. Yeah. That tells us that severity doesn't really play a factor, okay? So the low severity, the high severity, it don't matter. Gotcha. So we can just ignore severity, and we can just look at group by time. What happens if we look at group by time? Well, if we look at group by time, we see that steps per day, which was their main outcome measure, 
There's no difference in the groups. No difference. Every single group, the high variable, the high forward, and the low variable, they all improved. So you're saying physical therapy is good. Physical therapy is good. For it. And to add on to that, let's talk about their secondary measures. What about their secondary measures? I'm glad you asked. So the self-selected walking speed, the fast-paced walking speed, and the six-minute walking test, both of the high-intensity groups outpaced the low-intensity groups. You, you feel what I'm saying? I see what you you're see saying. You see what I'm saying with that? So really just to, to reiterate that, all they're saying with these secondary measures is that the high-intensity groups had people walk faster at both their self-selected speed and fast-paced speed, and they tended to have better distances overall for the six-minute walk test. Now, on top of that, they asked them about their confidence levels over time too through the activity-specific balance confidence scale. There were really no changes in the groups, but when they looked three months later, the high-variable group had higher confidence than all the other groups. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, I, I wanted to ask you about this as we were going along. I, I saw this thing about the efficiency point, right? The physiological component. Mm-hmm. All right. And so what we saw is that those from the high-intensity groups, the variable and the forward focus groups, they tended to have higher efficiencies. However... When you looked at the minute-by-minute changes, Mm -hmm. that lower-intensity group had positive changes while the higher-intensity group had negative changes. So do you think, just out there in the universe, thinking about it, while the high-intensity groups were being more efficient, do you think they might have been coming out of the gate quicker than the lower-intensity groups? That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like they started strong, but then they got tired. And so by the end of their six-minute walk test... They were a little bit slower, whereas the low variable, they didn't have that issue. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, you brought up a good point earlier about those cutoffs about the 500 steps. Yeah. So with those cutoffs, what we're seeing is that no group changed between each other more than those cutoff values. Right. So regardless if they were in the high variable or the high forward or the low variable, everybody improved. But that difference did not exceed that meaningful effect that they put for themselves. Yes. So it really comes down to this last question. Does it match? Do the conclusions match what their conclusions are in the abstract? Kind of. Kind of. I would say kind of. I would say kind of. I would say kind of. I think what I took from this is that essentially we have to push people and it's, I think you might get some more buy-in from variability, but that also seems a bit of a, of a biasy for me just being in front of people, <laughs> right? But it seems like we have to push people. And that's kind of the consistent message that we're getting from high-intensity gate training. Now, what do you think? Do you think that, what did you get? Did you get something different? Did you get the same? What, what's going on? What I got that was different is that if you read their conclusions, hit in variable context, elicits gain in daily stepping. That is a true statement. True statement. But it's a half-truth. Yes. Because in the forward, they also saw gains. Yep. And in the low variable, they also saw gains. Right. Does this go back to that ANOVA that you were talking about earlier? It does go back to that ANOVA. I think that's that's a really profound component is that physical therapy in general helped improve steps. Helps improve stuff. Right. So 
where they really wanted to push the hit in a variable context, yes, it, 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 it worked. Right. But the other groups worked too. Yes. So could we really say one is superior than the other? Well, based on the primary outcome, no. No. But, uh, but they had a couple of secondary outcomes that show that the high intensity ultimately performed better than the low intensity. I think that's a big point, is that high intensity is something that we really should should be striving towards of mm-hmm. pushing our patients towards. So what do you think you would change? Would you change anything else? Would you want something else included in this analysis? The only thing that I'd want included would be a low-intensity, non-variable group. Why would you want that? Because with the low-intensity variable group, we were able to manipulate the intensity of it. Yeah. But we weren't able to manipulate the variability as much. So I wonder if we were to do a low-intensity, non-variable group, would their outcomes be the worst? And so that way we know that both the intensity and the variability seem to matter. Maybe the high intensity makes more of a difference. So if I'm going to prioritize something as a clinician, I'm going to prioritize the intensity of it. Right. But if we had that low intensity variable to non-variable, well, then that really gives me a better idea about that variability context as well. I think that's a great point. And hopefully it spurs on some future research. And that concludes the first episode of Truth or Hype, PT's Reading Beyond the Abstract. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you hit subscribe on all of those podcast services and check back soon for our next episode.